Hi, you're listening to Spotlight on Broadway Radio. I'm your host, Jenna Tessa Fox. While Broadway theaters may not open until September, off-Broadway and off-off-Broadway theaters are up and running. Lilies, or the revival of a romantic drama, opened on May 17th at the Theater Center. This is the New York debut of Michel-Marc Bouchaud's 1987 Quebecois drama. It is produced by The Drama Company, NYC. The play is actually a play within a play performed for an aging bishop who has come to meet Simone Doucette, a childhood friend of his, who has been released from prison after 40 years incarcerated. As Simone and his fellow prisoners tell the story of what happened between the two men when they were boys, we learn why Simone was imprisoned and how the bishop was involved. With us today is Andrew Benvenuti, who has directed this premiere production. Andrew, thank you very, very much for being here. Thank you very much for having me. I'm delighted. I'd love to start with how you first learned about Lilies and what attracted you to this story. Sure. Um, Well, I first became familiar with the play through the film adaptation, uh, which was made in 1996. Mm -hmm. Uh, I saw it uh, as a high school student, uh, my senior year of high school back in, oh, let's just say the early 2000s. but uh, I fell in love with the movie, and uh, it sort of just haunted me ever since. Uh, I think the story is just so timeless, and uh, I've always wanted to to do it on stage. What about the well, the movie and the play spoke to you? Uh, this play was written in the '80s, but takes place in both the 1950s and the turn of the last century. Uh, well, it's. I think it's actually connected with me in a number of ways uh, at different points in my life. Depending on, uh, you know, when I when I first saw it as a high school student, I identified uh, very heavily with the two young men who are also, you know, equivalent to high school students uh, in Quebec, um, and and just being a young gay man in high school, I, I just so connected with with their story. And as I got older and I really dived into reading the text of the play, I realized, you know, how, how much the play deals with, with issues of religious trauma and how those things we're taught as, as children can really harm us uh, as adults if we, if we don't learn to sort of filter them and, uh, so it's it's really connected with me on 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 so many so many levels and then there's the history of it you know if we look back at the history of literature there's really not a, a lot of gay period romance going on you know um so i connect with it on on that level as well i think it's so interesting that the author has decided uh to set this play in the past twice not just you know in 1912 or 19 19- you know, 52, but, but both, um, because we just don't get that as, as queer people, we just don't have those sort of histories. So, speaking. Certainly. So what made you decide that this was the right time to bring this play to New York? This is the, uh, New York city premiere of the piece. Yes. Yes. It's, it's for a fully staged production. Yes. It has been done previously in staged readings, but it's never been done in a full production. Uh-huh. And it was sort of, uh, the pandemic is sort of what made it possible or, um, you know, I, 
we as a company had been producing fully staged productions in quarantine that were for digital streaming. And not no live audience, of course, but uh, actors together in the same room. This we started doing in January. And we were rehearsing this play uh, for a live stream when the governor of New York uh, announced that small theater venues would be allowed to reopen in April. And it just happened to be the play that we were rehearsing when, when that happened. And so it was sort of... Um, a happy coincidence that this play that I love so much that, that we had been doing for a sort of digital, digital stream uh, was the one that we were rehearsing when, when it was announced that theaters could reopen. And so we, we crunched the numbers and we spoke with the playwrights agents and we worked, we were able to work out the details in such a way where we could uh, transfer the show to a live venue. And what was involved in that, especially starting rehearsals uh, in January, I mean, before most people had been vaccinated? Uh, this is not exactly a play that you can, uh, <laughs> people can keep a safe distance from one another. Right. Well, this particular show, we actually began rehearsing um, in March. Uh, so we a few people, uh, vaccinations had started to happen, but we... Um, we do have a, a health and safety director on staff who's an epidemiologist uh, who uh, works out of Columbia University in SUNY Downstate who advised us on how to have rehearsals safely. Um, so when we began rehearsing for the digital stream, uh, everyone wore masks and there was all sorts of social distancing and uh, many, many COVID tests being taken to make sure that we were all safe in that regard. Uh, we did some rehearsals on Zoom as well in the early part of the process when we were just sort of digging into the script and the text and all of that. We, we stuck to Zoom. And uh, when, when we did rehearse in, in person, we actually rehearsed outdoors as well in an outdoor space to also mitigate that, that risk. What was that like, uh, rehearsing outdoors in winter? <laughs> cold. It was cold. Uh, yeah, through March and April, we were rehearsing mostly outdoors. We did in April, a few, you know, if it rained or something like that, we did go into a studio. Um, there, were, there, there are, or were, there are now also uh, studios open. So we, we did go into studios when the weather was exceptionally cold or raining or, or something like that. Uh, but yeah, we we trucked through. We we wore our heavy winter coats and our our mittens, and um, yeah, we were we were all just so excited to be doing to be doing a play that uh, we just sort of stuck our chins up and and dealt with the cold. So, can you tell me a bit about the casting process and you know, what was it like to try to cast during a pandemic? Was everything over Zoom, or did you try to get people into the same room so that you could see who had chemistry with whom? We did get people in the same room. We did our initial auditions over Zoom. We had folks submit monologues and do uh, readings from the script over Zoom, and then you know the few people that we were really sort of excited to see, we did get together in a studio in Midtown and we were all masked and safe, uh, socially distant for a callback. 
we did the play on a digital stream back in the uh, back in uh, late March, the last weekend of March, um, or second to last weekend of March. Uh, and we learned a lot from that production. We sort of used it as our, our out of town. Um, but yeah, that casting process was slightly different from casting for the for the off Broadway uh, production. We we did a little more in person work for the off Broadway production. By the time we started casting that uh, in the first week, first second week of April, uh, many more people had been vaccinated. The restrictions had started to loosen. Um, you know, we still had our, our masks, and we made sure that we could keep everybody as safe as possible. Uh, but yeah, chemistry was very important. Uh, for this for this show, and there were some folks uh, in the digital stream where the the chemistry just wasn't perfect. Um, so we did some recasting, um, and so yeah, we did we did get people in the same room together for the uh, for the off Broadway premiere because we just wanted to make sure we, we were we were getting the best the best folks for the job. Now, I, I feel like I should mention that one major element of this play is that Bouchard wrote the piece to be performed by an all-male cast with all of the women's roles played by men, since the actors of the play within a play are supposed to be uh, Simone's fellow former prisoners. Um, with accurate representation on stage being such a growing concern lately, uh, what made you want to stage a play with this concept? And were you concerned about any pushback? I wasn't concerned because of the structure of the play within the play. And I think it's very clear that these folks on stage, uh, the, 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 the ex-prisoners are um, queer people. I think it's, it's apparent in the script. It's not stated outright, mm-hmm. but it's, it's very clear, uh, at least to me. And so, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't terribly worried about it because nobody in the play is claiming to be a specific identity, uh, and it's not done as a mockery or as a joke of any kind. In fact, they take it very seriously. The the uh, the playing of the female characters by men, uh, and it's really done as a way to normalize that sort of behavior, that sort of queer representation um, that, you know, these men are just uh, playing all different types of roles. There's also something uh, I would say mildly Shakespearean about it. uh, You know, the idea of a troupe of male actors playing, playing all the roles in the show. Sure. Can you talk a bit about some of the other challenges you faced in bringing the project to life and how you overcame those challenges? Uh, I, I believe the theater space is also hosting another production at the same time. Uh, yeah, that was the biggest challenge. The biggest challenge is sharing the space because, you know, I mean, and they've been great. I have to say that the theater center has been excellent. Uh, they've been warm and welcoming. Uh, the other show that shares the space with us has also been warm and welcoming. That's The Office. I'll give them a shout out because they're fantastic. Um, and I have no complaints about about uh, the folks over there at the theater center. They're fantastic people. Um, but it is a challenge. It is a challenge to do because, um, you know, these old off-Broadway theaters, they're not built to house multiple sets and and, you know, we do our best, um, but you know, because of that, there are limitations, you know, to what you can do. 
um, the set for the office is always on stage. Uh, I'm sure you saw there, there's a, a large black curtain drawn across the stage. Right. Uh, and that is, that is because the office set is behind it. Um, so, you, you know, you lose some depth there. There's about two feet of space behind that curtain that oh, we wow. could not use. Yeah. So you lose some playing space. And um, so that was a challenge to adapt the staging uh, to fit the space. Because uh, I, I, well, um, we just sort of tried to fix the sightline pictures because I did, I felt very strongly um, something that's sort of unique to this production is the idea that none, once they, they enter, uh, except for a few moments here and there, um, all of the actors remain on stage for the entire production. Right. And I really wanted that. I wanted, I wanted to to keep everybody on um, for a lot of different reasons. One, um, I just really loved the idea of them being an ensemble uh, who who were putting on this play and and watching the play and also having you know uh, been a part of it for so long uh, taking ownership of it in that way um and also to see the the reaction of the bishop uh the bishop is sort of a, a presence throughout the play and i i really wanted that interaction so so making that uh making that change from going to like a from from a proscenium to a more three quarters thrust was also challenging. Um, and you know, there's, there's probably some places where someone has to peek their head around to, to see something uh, from a body in their way. But uh, I think overall the pictures work out nicely. I think um, having the the men all on stage throughout um brings something special to to this production that would be missing without i was also struck by the music in the production both pre-show and then during how did you select the sound for this story so all of the music in the pre-show are hits basically from the late 1940s through early uh, 1952. So period appropriate. And I, I really wanted it to be songs that would have been playing on the radio at the time in 1952 uh, to sort of bring you back into that world, into that space. Um, period pieces are hard for audiences to get into. Uh, usually at the beginning, it takes a little bit of time. And I really wanted to help that process along by sort of setting the mood with, with the music, uh, bringing you back to the early 1950s. And then, uh, so the, the music in the play uh, is all the music of Claude Debussy, uh, who wrote the opera, The Martyrdom of St. Sebastian, uh-huh. which, yes, so uh, all of the music in the play is by Claude Debussy, uh, the interludes that play in the transitions, and also um, during the infamous bathtub scene, uh, the piece that plays is his most famous, which is uh, the Claire de Lune. Right. Huh. I, I certainly recognize Claire de Lune, and now I'm thinking of Frankie and Johnny and wondering about parallels between uh, Frankie and Johnny in this piece. And that's a topic for an essay I'll have to write someday. <laughs> 
Uh, in your director's note in the program and also earlier in this conversation, you talked a bit about uh, religious trauma. Uh, you wrote, uh, both as an openly gay man and a Christian, you're all too familiar with what religious trauma can look like. Uh, could mm. you expand on that a bit and talk about how your awareness of religious trauma played into how you staged this play? Oh, yeah. Um, so for those who, who don't know, religious trauma takes many forms. Uh, it can be any sort of indoctrination that, that one received as a young adult or a child that sort of influences one's way of, of thinking about oneself. Um, and most of the time it manifests itself in forms that have to do with guilt and shame. Um, and you don't have to be gay to, to feel that sort of guilt or shame in terms of, of religious trauma, but, but, uh, queer people, LGBTQIA people feel it constantly. Um, I won't speak for everyone, but for myself, uh, growing up in the, in the church, I was lucky. I, it wasn't, it wasn't pounded into me, um, you know, the, the scriptures about homosexuality in the Bible, but they were certainly there. And, um, the character of Jean Bilodeau is suffering tremendously from religious trauma throughout his in, entire life. And we get to see it in the play, how it sort of starts in the beginning um, when he's a young man and then it festers and, and grows throughout his, his whole life. And um, so I was very sensitive to that in terms of, of, of staging the play. And I really wanted to try to bring that out. It's in the text. I mean, it's not mentioned uh, outright, but um, it's certainly there in the text. And so I, I wanted the staging to highlight that, the consequences of that sort of. Sure. Excellent. And what do you hope audiences take away from the play as a whole and this particular production? I hope that people leave believing in love. For me, the play is rooted in love. It's a love story first and foremost. And it's a tragedy. It's a tragic love story. But I, I think the idea that this love between Simone and Vallée lasts beyond death uh, is beautiful. And it's it, it really rings uh, familiarly to, you know, all of the old sort of French romanticism, um, you know, Camille and, and all of that, where, where love is just triumphant over all things. And I hope, I hope that people leave believing in love in that way. Um, and also speaking to the, to the religious trauma aspect of it, um, I hope that people leave with a better understanding that queer love is just as beautiful and just as holy um, as, as that of any sort of cisgendered heteronormative relationship. Lovely. Lilies will be running through June 14th at the Theater Center. Tickets can be purchased at tdcnyc.org. Thank you very, very much for your time, Andrew. And uh, best of luck, uh, break legs with uh, this production and with all the future productions as well. Thank you very much.